Hey everybody, how are y'all doing tonight? Good, one of you is good. It's good, it's good to see you all tonight. Hey, my name is Jonathan. I'm struggling with a mic stand. Uh, yeah, I'm, my name is Jonathan. I'm, uh, I'm really glad to see you all here tonight. Um, I hope you've had a, I hope you've had a decent week. I know like week six is, sort of, is th when things start to, where the grind starts to really kick in and it starts to get tough. Um, so it's really, yeah, it's good to see those of you who are here tonight. Um, it's good to, yeah, it's, it's good to be vulnerable with each other and to say life's hard sometimes. Um, Riley, thank you for sharing. I know that's, y'all, it's vulnerable to stand up on a stage in front of a campus and cry. So thank you. I'm really, I'm grateful. Um, so yeah, I'm glad y'all are here tonight. Uh, welcome to RUF. We stand with Reformed University Fellowship. We're a Christian ministry who tries to have fun, but also, like Riley says, um, engage in community in the really challenging, hard parts of life. Um, which, if we're honest, all of us have been in uh, something like that in the last year. Um, maybe that's where you are now. So, um, if you've stumbled in uh, and you're wondering what you're here for, I hope you're getting a little taste of it uh, here tonight. I was talking to a couple of students last night about different, uh, how different this semester feels from past semesters or what they were expecting from college. And um, people were telling they're tired, they're stressed, they're overworked, uh, somehow bored and hyper busy at the same time. Um, that's really hard stuff all around. And I know that each one of you is feeling it. Um, this is just not what we expected for our fall 2020. So um, for what it's worth, I'm sorry. and I'm. I'm with you. Um, we're with it in, this, in all of this. Um, our heart here, Deborah, Madeline, myself, is to make RUF a place where you can be encouraged and nourished and find community and hope and peace in the midst of discouraging, sad, often frustrating times. Um, so if there's something we can do to help, just processing, listening, having fun together, come talk to me, come talk to Deborah, Madeline. Um, we'd love to, yeah, just listen and um, maybe do something fun go shopping or hiking, something like that. Um, so we're going to continue our study tonight in the book of Romans. We've been studying uh, the book of Romans, which is an, a letter that was written by uh, the Apostle Paul a long time ago. Uh, and we're going to look and see how does it continue to apply to what we are living in tonight. And this is actually one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. I don't want to say that there are some that are better than the others, but I will say this one's really, really good. Uh, and because the passage that we're going to look at tonight asks and answers the question of why is the world so broken? We've just been reflecting on that and what we've been singing and praying about and listening to Riley. Why is the world so broken and what's the solution? How do we, how do we get any hope out of it? Is there any hope to this? And, and this passage gives us a lot on that. And I've been thinking a lot about all of this question as I've been looking at Twitter and listening to the radio and listening to all the politicians. I don't know if you guys know, there's an election that's about to happen. Sarcasm. Um, so there's a huge election that's about to happen all across our country. And I've been listening to the politicians. And everybody has their, all the politicians have their answer for what's wrong with the world and what the solution is. And it's been really interesting to listen to different sides say that the other side's the problem or um, each election advertisement or each election speech or debate says, this is what the problem is and here's the solution. Here's what's wrong with the world and here's how we can fix it. And it makes sense because all of us in 2020, we're looking around our world and we see a lot of problems. <laughs> 
We see problems in our own lives. We see problems in our families. We see problems in our relationships, hurts, loneliness, fighting, suicide, depression, unemployment, racial injustice, dying babies, political strife. We just look around, we say, everything's wrong. What's wrong with this world? And is there a solution? Is there something that's going to make it better? And tonight what we're going to look at, the reason why this passage is so important is because it tells us what's wrong and then it gives us the solution. It says that this is the thing that is the deepest thing of what's wrong and the best solution to it all. So we're going to look at tonight how King Jesus, his righteous reign overcomes the power of sin from guilt and oppression from Adam's reign of death. How Jesus' righteous reign overcomes the powerful sin of guilt and oppression from Adam's reign of death. Tonight we're going to see how Paul compares two men, Adam and Jesus, and he says all humans either fit into the line of Adam or the line of Jesus. And from Adam's line comes death and sin and wrath, and from Jesus comes love and grace and righteousness and eternal life. So before I read this text, um, if you have questions about what we're going to look at tonight or what I say, shoot me a text. Uh, afterwards, we'll dialogue and interact with those texts. My phone number is, either, some of you have it. If you don't have my phone number, it's on your piece of paper, um, and we will uh, we'll dialogue with that and have a little conversation after. Um, so let me read this text from us. This is from Romans chapter 5. This is God's word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was, is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to the to, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray. Lord in heaven, we're probably coming in from a variety of positions tonight. Some not sure what they're here for. Some desperately needing a word of encouragement or a piece or of hope and everywhere in between. I pray that as we look at your word, that your spirit would meet each of us where we are and not leave us there, but show us Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so as we look, uh, that was a confusing piece of scripture. I'll be, the, I'll be the first to admit. 
I first read it and I was like, I don't know what this is talking about. So I'm going to try and break it down into three pieces. Three pieces of what we're going to look at tonight. First, Adam's sin is our sin. Second, the second Adam's triumph is our triumph. And three, why it matters. We always ask, why does this matter? So first, the first Adam's sin is our sin. So as we dig into this, I'm going to start off with a bold claim. <laughs> this is what I, if you have a text, this is probably what you're going to text me about. Uh, and I'll just say it right off the bat. Paul here is saying that everything wrong in the world, everything that's wrong in your life, everything that's wrong in the news, everything that's wrong in this world, traces back to Adam's first sin. And that, here's the thing, that we are as complicit and guilty in it as Adam is. That everything that's wrong in the world traces back to Adam and that we are as much part of the problem. That one man's sin brought sin and death into the entire world and that even we do it part of it. Now, let me try and explain this and back it up with what we're looking at here. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, we're going to dig this down really slowly, almost line by line. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Stop. So some of you may know the story, some of you may not. So the Bible says that way back in the day, when God creates the world, he creates man and, a, and woman, Adam and Eve, and he tells, when he makes them, he, he puts them in perfect relationship with everything around them. Everything is as it should be. Man is at peace with God and man. Man in peace is with, him, with man and women. Man is at peace with himself. There's no depression or ill feelings. And man is at peace with the creation. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. And God gives Adam and Eve one rule. He says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Make that promise with me that you won't eat that. And they say, yes, we will not do that. And then, of course, you know the story that they broke that rule. And they, in so doing, when they broke their promise, they wrecked the relationship of peace that was in all things. And so then just cascading down is all of this brokenness starts to swell and throb out into the universe, pulsing brokenness and sin because of their breaking of the promise. And that's what he says here. He's saying, just as sin came into the world through one man, and then he says, but that wasn't all. He says, death came into the world through sin. And so God comes to Adam. He says, you broke the promise that we made. And now the relationship with us is broken. And the result of that is death. When you break this relationship, the death is what results of it. That the result of the, the wages of sin is death. Sin at its core is rejection of God and rejection of his rules. And it brings divine punishment. And so he says, sin brings in, one man brings sin in, and from that comes all of the tidal wave of brokenness, even culminating in death. And then he says, and death spread to all humans. And it's, I don't think he just means just death. I think he means everything lesser than death that afflicts us. That all of the depression and racial injustice and abuse and pain that you and I, the misery that you and I experience in our life, physical and spiritual, all of that traces back to sin. All of the evil, all of the hurting in your life stems back to Adam's sin, this says. And now look at verse 12 again one more time. He says, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now here's where it gets contentious. Because what this is saying here is that not only was Adam's sin passed on to us, but his guilt was too. That just as Adam was guilty for breaking the promise with God, he's basically saying, so are we. 
that you and I are just as guilty apart from God doing something as Adam was. He's saying that, that, that when Adam sinned, the disposition of every woman and man in the world after this is warped into becoming sinners. Think of it this way. Look at one of the five-gallon buckets that these lights are hanging in or are suspended in. Look at those buckets. Now imagine that one of them is filled with water. It's filled up with water and it's drinkable water. Now imagine if one of us were to come in here and pour a cup of poison into the water. Of course, the poison would get into all the water and it would ruin it. And it really wouldn't matter how much water was in there because there's poison in there and the water is worthless. Now, imagine if we were to put little pipes at the bottom of each mug, uh, 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 each bucket and start filling water bottles with that water. Would those water bottles be any good? Well, of course not. They'd be the same poisoned water. They're maybe not from the bucket, but they still have the brokenness. They still have the poison in them. That's what he's saying here. He's saying that we are the poisoned water bottles. Adam's sin ruins us. It makes us not just broken, but even guilty. Adam's choice of sin bent us into the kind of people who want to sin. His choice shapes human nature away from God. And we call this original sin. Original sin, that's the spiritual status of every person apart from God, of a sinful spiritual disposition and rejection of God to hurt and even harm others. Now, verse 19 tells us even more. It says that Adam's guilt is our guilt and that Adam's choice was our choice. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, where is it? For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And so what he means is here is that that spreads out to all of us. And this is in theology, this is called federal headship. That Adam is basically, that means that he is our federal head, like federalism, the government system that we have here. Federal vision, or I'm sorry, federal headship is that he is our representative theologically. Now, some of you are hearing me say this and saying, what in the world? That's not fair. How in the world can that be fair for God to, to hold me responsible for something that I wasn't alive and I wasn't going to be alive for 2,000 years for? Or longer, thousands of years. I wasn't, how can God hold me responsible for something someone else did? Well, here's, I think, the answer to this. I think it's this. It's that we live in a highly individualistic age. We live in a time where we think of ourselves as individuals and free agents and nobody tells me what to do. I make my own choices. I make my own destiny. That, that another person's choice doesn't affect me. And I don't think that's real. And that neither does the Bible. And I'm going to try and say why I don't think that's real. Because this is a serious objection. How can God hold me guilty for something I, it seems I didn't do? I didn't eat the fruit. Here's why I think the Bible is right here. First, we think that we're free agents because our culture has told us that we're free agents. Think about what I just said there. We think we're free agents because our culture has told us to think that way. In a sense, we are coerced and shaped by our highly individualistic culture to tell us that we are highly individualistic. So at the end of the day, we're not actually individualistic. We're just shaped by the culture telling us that we are. So that's the first thing I think helped negates that. Second of all, the idea of us just being free individuals, it's just not the way the world works. It's just not accurate. 
This idea of freedom is just not, not true. Think about it this way. Think about generational wealth versus generational poverty with me. Generational wealth is, is like accrued wealth and accrued power that a rich person gets to protect and make themselves richer. Think about it like this. Imagine a, a, a kid of an Ivy League student, oh sorry, an Ivy League uh, graduate who is like the professor at a Fortune 100 company. And let's say he went to Yale and then he went and made a bunch of money and now is a VP, and it's definitely a guy, at some, uh, some powerful company. And now his kid wants to go to an Ivy League. And then also, let's say, so he's got tons of generational wealth. But then there's this kid who comes in from a poor school or from a rural town, and he doesn't have a lot of money, and his education is meh, so-so. And they're both trying to get into the school. Who's going to get in? Well, the statistics show us over and over and over again that it's the kid with the, with the generational wealth who's going to get in. Why? Why is that? Because... Over and over again, we see that behind this, that one person's gains are another person's gains. And one person's losses are another person's losses. That, that's just, that is how our, our society functions. Over and over, think about lawyers. When a lawyer wins a case, he doesn't just win it for himself. He wins it for the person who's attached to him. Over and over again, our society operates on this idea of we are connected to other people and when they lose, we lose. When they win, we win. We are inseparably connected to humans, both humans who are living now and humans who have died, in such a way that their loss and their wins become our losses. And so we're less free than we think. So that's the second reason why I think federal, federal headship is helpful. Third and final, I think federal headship explains what's wrong with the world. So I've done a, 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 a decent bit of study thinking about all of the different answers that, the world, that, that, that are given for what's wrong with our world. You know, sociology and economics and philosophy and political thinkers and psychology. All these disciplines have spent hundreds of years asking what's wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? And basically asking why do humans do bad things? Why do people do bad things? And I'll tell you what, in all the study I've done, no system can make a compelling story or explanation for what's wrong with the world as far as I know. But this right here, federal headship, Adam's sin and guilt becoming ours, this is a story that roots all of it and gives us a compelling story that says, yeah, this explains why humans do really terrible things. That sin brought death, and that sin brought the suffering. That sin brought depression and abuse and bullying and war. The biblical answer is the best answer to explain why humans do wicked things. So in all of that, what's the summary? The Bible says that everything wrong in your life, everything wrong in your life and in our world today, is we lay it at the feet of Adam's sin to disobey God, and that when Adam sinned, we too sinned so badly that we deserve the pain, the condemnation, and the death. That Adam was our representative, and that in his choice, we died. The challenge of this text says that you are a sinner, and that your sin is worse than you think. That sin is more than just you do bad things, or bad things happen to me. And it, it, it says that at the core of who we are apart from God are people who are disposed against God and oppressive of other people and actually deserving God's wrath. 
That's what verse 18 says. That's what this passage says. Now, let's look at the second point. If, if, if Adam's sin is our sin, then where is the good news? If that's where we left off, then Christianity would be a terrible religion. <laughs> and you should leave. <laughs> but that's not where this passage leaves off. It, it gives us the good news. It gives us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says this, that the second Adam's triumph is our triumph. It tells us that there is actually a second federal head, a second representative who triumphs, who undoes the sin and the guilt of Adam. Let's look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to the many. What does this mean? Another way of saying this would be saying the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people into a dead-end abyss of separation with God, just think, imagine what the gift of God poured out through one man Jesus could do. This is saying that as powerful and pervasive and destructive as the one man's sin choice was, the grace of God in Jesus Christ is more powerful to actually undo and uproot and start a new story in your life and in mine that undoes the sin and the guilt. How? Through the grace of God and the free gift of God. Well, what is the grace? The grace of God is God's disposition of kindness to you. God's disposition of kindness. God, he says if when, we're, when we're under the second head that is Jesus, God's not angry at us. He loves us. He has a disposition of kindness and warmth and gentleness towards us. And the free gift is God's acceptance and love and cherishing of you, even in your sin sometimes. Romans, I mean, uh, verses 18 and 19 tell us how. Look at verse, these are so amazing. Look at verses 18. Therefore, as one trespass or one sin led to the condemnation of all men and women, so also one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For by the one man's sin, disobedience, oh, sorry, for, for, by, for as in, so I can't see, it's dark. For as by the one man's dis disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. One act of righteousness. What does he mean here? He says that just as Adam had one sinful thing he did that plunged all of us into this estate of sin, so also Jesus had one act of righteousness that brings us out of that and into grace. What is that? It's Jesus' perfect obedience. That Jesus obeyed when Adam disobeyed. That Jesus was righteous when Adam was unrighteous. And here's what's amazing. That when Adam disobeyed God, his disobedience passed on to us. When we are Christians, Christ's obedience gets passed back onto us. Christ's perfection gets placed back onto us when we trust in him. That where Adam failed, Christ succeeded and Christ's success becomes ours. Think about what that means. It means that just as Adam plunged you into an estate of sin and misery and depression and anxiety and sadness and loneliness, that Jesus begins to bring you into an estate of life and joy and peace and community and love. That's what the gospel offers. And it says you don't do anything to get it. You trust in what Jesus has done for you. 
That is an answer to the world's problems that I don't know of any other system or philosophy that does that for you. It says that federal headship repeats itself, but this time with grace and joy and life and peace and righteousness. Look at verse 17. This is amazing. Verse 17 says, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Over and over again in this text, you'll see the word reign. The word reign, talking like about a kingdom. And this is such an important word. It's such an important word in this because this is talking about here the idea of sin as a kingdom of oppression and abuse that invades into our lives and afflicts us. It destroys us. And it says that there is another more powerful king who invades back and begins to bring a reign of peace and goodness. And it says that we can be the beneficiaries of that. We can be the ones who get the reign of goodness, that when we receive the grace of God, a new reign begins. Verse 21, as sin reigned in death, grace might reign all the more. The rest of the Bible, there's other places where it talks about this. It says it's a transfer of kingdoms. We are transferred from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. And there was a story I heard a couple of years ago that, that sort of illustrates this. Last year, uh, there was a guy named Jay Spites. He lives in Maryland. And he's just a random dude. Just lives in Rockville, Maryland. And he decided his dad wanted to find out a little bit about their heritage. And so his dad goes and takes a DNA test. And, uh, so he, and he starts digging around after, uh, in Ancestry.com, looking into, like, who are we? What's our, what's our heritage? And he starts digging and he looks into his DNA and he's trying to find out who his ancestors were. And he's tracing and finally he gets a ping. He gets a name. And so he finds some dude who's, uh, who, who, has his, who has his DNA. And it's some guy named, I'm going to butcher this, but Huluan Lokokonan Deka. And it turns out that this guy is royalty in the country of Benin. Benin is in West Africa. And so he keeps digging. He says, what in the world? How am I... How, how, how can this be? And so finally he sends a, an email to the Benin consulate and with his DNA and says, um, I might be related to the royalty. And so he, he calls the king of Benin and he gets no answer. And he's like, well, that makes no sense. But finally he gets a hold of the queen of Benin. And she calls him and he, she says this, listen to this. She says to him, Jay, she says, dear prince, we invite you to come home. We are awaiting you to come home. We're waiting for you to come. We have a big party planned for you. This man who had no idea who he was, just Jay Spates of Rockville, Maryland, never knew it, but he was royalty. So he travels to Benin, and when he arrives, he's greeted by the whole nation, rejoicing at the long-lost prince who has come home. There's singing, and there's dancing, and there's cheering that they had found their prince, and they have a massive ceremony, and they crown him the prince of Benin, and they give him a new name. His name is Vidikon Deka, which translates the child who has come back. I was weeping as I was listening to this story, because here's this person who had nothing to him. And yet, because of his lineage, 
because of who he is attached to, he didn't do anything. He finds out, oh my gosh, I'm a, I'm a king, I'm a prince, I'm royalty. Nothing that he did, but who he's connected to. That's a powerful story, but it's a piece of what's going on here in Romans 5. Paul tells us that spiritually we are not just normal Joe Blow, Jay Spites, but that we are actually in the lineage of criminals. And we're in the lineage of death, but then we wake up one day, we find ourselves with a more powerful lineage. We are transferred from the lineage of death into the lineage of life. We are transferred from the lineage of criminals to the lineage of the King, Jesus Christ. That his royalty is our royalty when we receive and trust in him. That when you are Christian, Jesus becomes your head, your representative, and his righteousness, his obedience becomes yours. His triumph becomes your triumph. Now, third point, why does this matter? Why does this matter? And I'll wrap up. How many of you had a week last week where you thought, my problems are too big? <laughs> My problems are too big for what is going on, and God just seems too far away. I know I have. I know that has happened to me this last week. And here's the reality. Your problems are too big for you. <laughs> Whatever you're facing here tonight, they're too big for you. Apart from Christ, there's nothing you can do. And if you're not a Christian, apart from Christ, you are a slave to sin. And even if you are a Christian, sin wars against you. It hates you. But here's the reality that if you are a Christian, when you are a Christian, when you trust in the free gift of Jesus Christ and his obedience, you are transferred from the reign of sin and death and brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that means that the whole force of the God of the Bible comes to you and begins to work and solve your problems. Is it going to happen overnight? No. But it means that there is an end date to them, that the eternal life that verse 21 talks about can be yours, which is the eradication of all of the things that afflict you and me. It gives you hope because it means that you don't have to solve your problems, but that Jesus has and will. Second point of application, why does this matter? For those of you who are Christians, how many of you looked into your life last week and looked in the mirror, looked at yourself, and condemned yourself and said, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. I know I do. I beat myself up when I'll snap at my daughter or my wife or I'll have a lustful thought about another person. Maybe you got drunk and had sex with someone last week and you rehearse it over and over again, the shame and the guilt. Maybe you cheated on a test. Maybe you fought with your parents. These are all things that lead you to say, there's no way I can be a Christian. <laughs> I'm fooling myself. How in the world can this be true of me? All of these things, they lead you to say, how can God love me? And in fact, maybe I can't, maybe, maybe I can't even be a Christian. But here's the reality. When Jesus is your federal head, when you are transferred into his reign, God doesn't treat you how deserve. He treats you how Christ deserves. And Christ is his son, whom he loves and cherishes. Because Christ's righteousness is placed onto you. That's what's true of you as a Christian. None of that other stuff has any bearing on who you are or how God sees you. That's what's amazing about the Christian gospel. This cycles back to the confidence that we have in our salvation is not based on what you do, but based on what God has done for you in Jesus. 
So what does this passage show us? It shows us that the Christian faith says that there are forces at work on us that are bigger than us. Forces of evil and of good. And that federal headship is those forces. Forces of sin, of Adam's disobedience, and forces of good. Jesus Christ the righteous giving you his righteousness. And that Jesus' triumph in Jesus' righteousness is so much bigger, so much more beautiful, so much more powerful than anything else. That where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Tonight, Paul shows us that the fate of every person follows two people, Adam or Jesus. The lineage of Adam leads to sin, death, and wrath. The lineage of Jesus leads to righteousness, royalty, grace, and life. And when we trust in Jesus, we receive that royalty and we reign in life and flourishing. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for this powerful picture of your love for us. How it shows us that we are truly more broken than we imagine, but more loved than we dare conceive. Help this be something that encourages each of us and maybe be people who trust you more and more. Amen.